0: I was thinking, should I leave it like this and have it almost black and white looking? What do you guys think? Sorry for those who can't see right now. It's I'm wearing my, my uh, outfit. I've got my detective cap on and my coat. Uh, I would have liked to have maybe a something else underneath, like a vest or something like that. But um, this will work for now. <laughs> I was just messing around a little bit with the white balance. It's not going to normally look like this, as you can see. It looks more like that. It's like a gray, but when I have it this way, it almost looks like blue. I left it like that for a second. Anyway, that was a really long-winded intro. Uh, hello and welcome everybody to episode 23 of the Six Pixels Under podcast. I am Nerd Slayer, your host. I'm wearing my garb today because we had some um, sub-train, sub-bonanza you know bonanza last week and we finally got up to 50. We dropped back to 48, but... I'm not going to hold that against you guys. On this week's podcast, uh, it's going to be just about two hours. I'm trying to keep it under two hours. I've got to talk to uh, my moderator, Card, who's, by the way, sitting in the lobby right now to answer uh, or queue up questions for me for the in section uh, dubbed Colin. But I need to talk to Card about uh, Star Trek Online, which is the next death of a game. Anyway, some more things we'll talk about today are Anthem, uh, not doing so hot in regards to sales. We'll talk a bit about... Hey, Paradox doing particularly well, Paradox Interactive, uh, and maybe the teasing of a new Vampire the Masquerade game. Uh, There's also Saoni, who is refunding people who pre-ordered Overkills the Walking Dead as that thing got canceled, which I don't think I've ever heard of a game getting canceled post-launch, but four four months after it launched, it's getting canceled, whatever that means. And, uh, yeah, also Nintendo apparently... um, Reggie stepping down some other guy named Doug Bowser's taking over, which is way too fitting and um then, of course, we've got the mmos on the go segment, uh the call in segment, as I mentioned at the end, where you can ask me whatever kind of question you want. um you can sit in discord and ask me in voice, or you can send me a message in particular uh, or at me in twitch chat, whatever tickles your fancy outfit hype, yeah, <laughs> I don't have my headset on because I think it ruined my outfit a little bit, but um. Uh, I'm also really tired. Man, you can see the bags in my eyes. I need to make it black and white again. Black and white suits me. Less color makes me look like I'm dead, though. Makes me look like I'm half dead. I don't know why there isn't just a simple black and white button on my camera options. That'd be pretty cool. I need to figure that out, but I'll figure that out some other time. All right, let me get my title out here. Uh, what is up, everybody? What what are you guys up to on this um, Monday afternoon or... Monday morning, whatever time it is for you guys, where you're at. <laughs> no cigar. <laughs> I've got something to smoke. That's all right, but um, not that kind. Uh, thanks for the bit donation, German 2 I appreciate that. Wow, a thousand. Pretty cool. I don't know how that stuff works. Pot- so you can like put a bit donation and attach it to an emote, and it makes it like a super emote. Or. Anyway. Black and white stream for the classic vibes. Yeah, so I'm thinking there I don't see a black and white filter. It's pretty it's pretty strange. Is this sub mode? No, somebody was handing out um AKH was handing out a bunch of uh subs last time on on stream. Oh, that was you as well, Jerma. I didn't know that. 1500 bits. Thanks for the 1500 bit donation. All right. Um let's go ahead and get to our first topic of uh, the day of the week if you will I wanted to talk a bit about the sales of the Anthem now for those who've been following the story I've been covering on and off not really interested in playing the game myself but just more so interested in the story surrounding uh, it because of BioWare obviously BioWare being a big company um that i followed in my life but also has probably had some of the most recent um failures and isn't looking so hot. And so as the article on screen states, um, Anthem's physical sales were half of Mass Effect Andromeda's, which is not really totally surprising, obviously, for those who've been following. Um, Andromeda didn't have the best reception, but at the core of it, there is still some Mass Effect game in there, you know, somewhere. With Anthem, I think it's a little bit harder to stomach that because it's not Mass Effect. It's no... IP in particular, right, it's a, it's a new IP, and it's not a particularly useful or, sorry, inventive or interesting IP enough on the merit of its story or or premise alone, like I would say of Mass Effect. The premise alone of Mass Effect to me is interesting, which means you've got a strong uh, IP or a strong universe, and even just thinking about it is interesting to you. All right, so it obviously it's, it says we're talking about box sales here, which is like, I mean, of course, box sales in general are going to lower because people are less and less buying uh, box copies. In fact, I stopped buying box copies because the last time I bought a box copy game was probably Skyrim, and it came with like a Steam code inside. There was no disc. And I was just thinking to myself, what's the point in even buying this? I'm basically paying more money, and I'm not getting anything extra except... Uh, a box that doesn't even have box art in it anymore or a map or anything like it used to <laughs> currently playing my guilty uh, pleasure gotcha game on the mobile phone and it's not diablo immortal well that's good to know this this worries me i would say because ultimately um, I know people like to think about BioWare as a company that could never fail, right? I mean, how could BioWare fail? They've been there since, like, 99, right? Or 98. They've created such classic games. How could they, of all companies, fail? Um, Obviously, I covered how they ended up being acquired by EA, which is a crazy story. If you've never heard the story of how uh, BioWare got acquired, it's a nuts story. And uh, I, I detailed it in the SWOTOR video. But um, basically... They were getting involved in making a MMO. And of course, they needed funding. So they got bought uh, slash um, invested in by a publisher, sorry, by an investment group. But the strange thing is that the investment group was actually led by the previous CEO or CFO rather of EA. And so he was actually the owner of this investment group. So as soon as they acquired BioWare... He immediately sold it to EA, pretty much immediately sold it to EA, and then uh, came on as a board, uh, as a member of the board. I think he also took another high-ranking position back at EA, but um, basically just a crazy, like, circumstance where a guy who just happened to have worked for EA in the past acquires uh, a large stake in BioWare to the point to where they basically sold them off to EA. And so, um, same thing happened to... Um, Who's the guys that did the first uh, Battlefront and the second Battlefront? Pandemic? Is that Pandemic Studios? I think that's Pandemic. Yeah, it's Pandemic Studios. They also did the Saboteur, Mercenaries, uh, the Mercenaries series, uh, Lord of the Rings, Conquest. Also, they just Destroy All Humans. I didn't know Pandemic was the one that did Destroy All Humans. They also did um, Batman the Dark Knight. Don't remember that game. Star Wars, the best of... Yeah, so anyway, this also happened to Pandemic. They were also one of the ones uh, gobbled up by this investment company and then sold to EA. And of course, as you know, um, Pandemic was kind of shuttered. BioWare wasn't, of course, because BioWare was still putting out good games and very good games and they also had put so much money, time, and investment into Swotor. There was no way EA would just abandon that event investment. It's too much money. And so after seeing kind of the success or lack of success rather of Anthem, it has me wondering if this is finally the point where we can start worrying about the future of Bioware. I know like people were already worrying back when Dragon Age Inquisition came out. It did well, like sales wise, but just from a creative standpoint. Obviously, all the drama surrounding Mass Effect Andromeda, um, people were up in arms about the, you know, the animations, the the dialogue, the script. All of it was kind of a mess, right? And we find out it was made like basically by like the C team at Bioware. Um, I'm not really convinced there's an A team anymore. I think that's kind of a meme at this point. We were saying C team worked on Mass Effect Andromeda as a way to kind of explain to ourselves why that was okay, but at this point, I, I feel like. There is no A-team. I mean, they lost so many of their key developers. And as you can see with the lack of effort, or I should say low effort project they just put out with Anthem, and I say low effort in regards to their other standards. I don't just mean period. I'm sure they put much more effort and money into their game than most people could ever dream of. Um, But yeah, certainly a little bit of a case to be worried for uh, BioWare because EA is not an all-forgiving company. If you stop making money and you're not being successful anymore, they're going to fold you. I mean, they've done it before. It's not a matter of when or if. or Sorry, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when, right? And how successful you're going to be doing. I think you can also take a look at SWOTOR. SWOTOR is basically on the, the downest trend it's ever been since, you know, probably after Shadow of Revan, right? Before they had the AOTFE um, like, expansions come out. Um, they were at a pretty low downturn. And they they don't even have a roadmap for the current year, uh, 2019, uh, in the works for uh, SWOTOR. And just for whatever reason, people aren't questioning enough and they're not getting that, uh, which makes me really think that Bioware is kind of reaching a point where something has to stick. Otherwise, I'm not really sure what they're going to end up doing um, as a company. I mean, they're not making money with any of the games that are currently out right now uh live games i should say i'm sure they're still making money on royalties or whatever they're selling uh from previous games isn't are asking for crowdfunding <laughs> oh god isn't i mean at this point isn't microtransactions or, or loot boxes crowdfunding i mean can we just call it like it is i mean that's crowdfunding at this point to me that's kind of how i see it at least um it's certainly seeming that way okay um let's go ahead and get into the paradox topic that i wanted to uh mention um as i mentioned at the top uh paradox interactive the company or publisher rather behind a number of games um i, I mean i could just click on our products here so i don't have to remember them all of memory but i know there's uh what's this game called um europa universalis uh they've got hearts of iron Stellaris, um, Tyranny, of course, Obsidian launched through Paradox. Uh, the White Wolf franchise, they purchased them back in 2015. So they own that whole vampire the Masquerade uh namesake, Crusader Kings. I actually forgot all about Crusader Kings, and then City Skylines, which I don't know if that one really has the most positive reception. But anyway, um they've been doing particularly well. I think it's said that they're up twenty or thirty-nine percent of revenues. And their profit, operating profit, dropped or jumped up thirty-four percent. It's had its most profitable quarter ever, apparently. And this is making kind of it the the rumors surrounding another Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines game kind of more realistic to me. Because Paradox is essentially having its best time, right? Which means that theoretically speaking, and, and this is speculation, of course, but theoretically speaking that would be the most like logical time that they would decide to want to pursue a new IP or a previous IP that maybe they had worked with in the past or acquired in the past but never had the chance to necessarily create a game for yet. White Wolf was was acquired 4 years ago in 2015, which kind of tells me like timeline-wise it would make a whole lot of sense that that uh if there was going to be a new Vampire the Masquerade bloodlines or Vampire the Masquerade game, sorry, um released, it would be within the next couple of years, right? according to that timeline there was actually some um bit of news in this that came up recently i think there was an app they called it uh t- tinder um which apparently stands for teeth and swedish uh, paradox for those who don't know is a swedish company apparently there's some type of dating app that they're t- that they're targeting let's watch the video Hope I don't get copy-striked again now like last time. That's tender. why I didn't upload episode uh, 21 or 20, was it?
1: I had like
0: 10 seconds of a, of a movie clip, and, and they copyrighted it. And whenever I disputed it, find the they still connection. would not uh, relinquish Whoever you are, wherever you are,
2: your
1: soulmate is within reach. Discover the science of emotions. Tender, your soulmate, your soulmate algorithm.
0: algorithm. Interesting. Further teases they said, according to this article, was uh, they showed the Santa Monica Pier, which for those who played Bloodlines, you remember where that is. Um, when considering all of the evidence available so far, it wouldn't be surprising if yeah. So I mean, basically the same shit that I'm saying here. But um, it's it's interesting, right? I mean, I I loved Vampire: The Masquerade Bloodlines, flaw and all, like flaws and all. If the game didn't just basically fall in its ass like the the other half of the game. I think it would have been remembered as a truly great game. Even with all the updates, all the um, community patches and everything, the game is still kind of lacking a lot. Like it just clearly was a very rushed product. I I don't know how I feel about another game being erected in the same universe. Just because it's the same universe doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be done well. I mean, if you think about it, they kind of like they white wolf struck gold the first time with vampire the masquerade bloodlines and i know there was a game before that but more so bloodlines is the one that i think about because that's the one that troika was involved with in troika games i covered them on my channel they also had uh developers like leonard biarski who worked on diablo and fallout of course they had tim kane who also worked on fallout they had um joseph uh, not joseph and- jason anderson Is it Jason Anderson? I can't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, it was basically three guys. They were all creatives and they did amazing work. They did Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. They did Arcanum. Uh, They did um, the D&D game. I can't remember off the top of my head. They put out some really good quality games. And that's the team that's currently working now at Obsidian working on the Outer Worlds. So I, I felt like I should get that out of the way because it might be a little bit misleading to kind of imply that this is like the same team. The Bloodlines team is the same one working on this game. In fact, um I saw a recent article and I can't remember where it is at the top of my head, but um there was a recent article that said that the team that's working on this new rumored Vampire the Masquerade game is actually a multiplayer company. Like apparently they worked on Blacklight Retribution, uh is what I'm hearing or worked on Blacklight. So that's um obviously doesn't necessarily mean the the you know the most per se. I mean Sometimes an unproven company can put out good work, right? But it does have you a little bit worried of like, is this going to be anywhere close to the same quality that we expect, you know coming off of masquerade bloodlines? I mean that's just a fantastic game. The vocal the voice overs, the vocal animations, uh, the facial animations are amazing. Of course, it uses the source engine. Um, it just it was like lightning trapped in a bottle. Except it, it was, like, office space in the sense that it wasn't a hit when it was in theaters. It wasn't a hit until, like, posthumously, essentially. But I've always found Bloodlines interesting for that reason. Blacklight Retribution uh, does not have the best reputation, I would say. Okay. Um, What else do I? All right, so this one I figured we could talk about because it's totally related to the series um, that I do, obviously, Death of a Game. And that's, um, apparently, there's some information concerning the recent uh, Overkill Walking Dead game, um, which, if you haven't already heard of it, I recommend just Googling it to see kind of um, why it has a very negative reception. Overkill, if I remember correctly, is published by Starbreeze, which is the same company that um, does the pay load games and payload 2 <laughs> Sorry. Can, you, can you guys see this part look at this it says it's not it says it's canceled and then you scroll down and it's like not canceled and it just it the thing that makes me laugh is that it says not canceled and it says postponed and I'm thinking to myself how can a game that's post launch be postponed right like it's a it's a multiplayer game it launched how was it postponed like wh- what does that mean <laughs> i feel like they missed a step here when your game's launched it means you cancel it when you stop like developing it or you or you shut it down i don't understand how you postpone it like you postpone it for now and then you work on it later like what exactly does that mean Oh, so PC is out, but the console's not. So, what they mean is that they postponed the console versions to possibly fix issues that the PC versions are having? I could see that. That would make sense to me. That would make more sense. <clears throat> huh. According to PlayStation, what they said was. The publisher has notified us that the game is cancelled. So, it's only cancelled on the console? <laughs> Sorry. Postpone, that just cracks me up. Least surprising news of the day goes to Overkill. Isn't it interesting that they essentially tried to make a Left 4 Dead clone? with none of the same charm and basically none of the charm nor intrigue of the walking dead franchise and you know frankly speaking i think that franchise is a little played out at this point past the comics and past probably the first three seasons of the show i don't know if it's really strong uh based on its narrative anymore which is most you know narrative ultimately is what interests me if a game doesn't have a narrative I have a reason to keep playing it, I guess. Like, I, I don't see a reason to keep playing it. And some people say, well, fun, but there's tons of fun, th- or there's tons of fun things that I do in my life that are probably more fun than, like, the majority of like, a game that's only fun because the gameplay is fun. Like, that's not usually enough, unless it's, like, Academy. If it's, like, really good gameplay, I, it can stand the test of time. Absolutely. I totally um, believe in that. Temple of Elemental Evil. I appreciate that, Linko64. That's that's right. Overkill, ironically, overkilled their niche market <laughs> with payday, World War II heist thing, and then Walking Dead. Yeah, they kind of were putting out very similar products, huh? Uh, weirdly enough, I know it's totally related because of uh, Walking Dead, but kind of reminds me of Telltale, doesn't it? Company who just kept basically shipping out versions, different versions of the same game. Can we report that G2A ad for scamming? I don't know. Like what What can you do about these ads? The time of day or your general location. Huh? wonder why I would get a G2A ad based on my location or time of day. Anyway. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, um, Overkill probably looks like they're going to be shutting down, right? Um, I know that there's been a lot of recent drama concerning a Starbreeze. Apparently, there was like a literal reenactment of the game Payload um, where some guy was doing insider trading or something like that. The FBI or whatever the Swedish equivalent shows up to the actual like uh, company. I, I believe it's a Swedish company, right? Or is it a Danish company? Sorry, uh, <laughs> sorry <laughs> that I would dare get you guys confused. It's a Nordic company, okay? I know that. That's the more safe thing to say. It's a Nordic company. But anyway, like the authorities literally show up at the office, grab a bunch of PCs, and and ship them off because they're gonna go do some analysis to see if insider trading. And any illegal activities actually took pay- took place. So yeah, basically, Overkill or Starbreeze uh, Studio, I believe they're called, is having a real-life payload uh, game experience, if you will. I don't know if that company is going to end up getting shut down. And it's also unbelievably weird how many game companies or developers or even publishers are involved in all of this. 505 Games, Overkill, you've got um Starbreeze, What's the other company that's involved? There's another company involved as well. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Why are there so many companies involved in this damn game? Probably because they created some type of like subsidiary thing. Let's see. Okay, so they are a Swedish company. I got that part right. That's good. Starbree Studios. Video game development studio publisher. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so it's a subsidiary. I was right. So Overkill Software is their subsidiary. That would make sense why there's so many damn companies involved in this thing. It's also smart because they don't have to put them under their games develop list, right? Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) They do because they're actually published by a separate publisher on console, 505 Games apparently. Ah, okay. So it's all making sense now. The developer is Overkill, their normal publisher is Starbreeze, a.k.a. their subsidiary um, parent company, and then 505 Games is apparently the publisher for Console games. Own. No wonder why every time I read articles about this, there always seems like there's like six companies involved, and I'm always confused why there's so many companies involved. Anyway, Starbreeze themselves isn't doing so hot, especially with all that recent news concerning them. Um. Here it is. It Starbreeze Studios is raided for suspicions of insider trading, and property is seized as well as one person arrested. And this was a Swedish article. Apparently, um, (laughs) it seems likely that the people accused of insider trading are the previous CEO and the previous CFO. They shared or they sold their shares for a fuck ton of money, left the company. And since then, the shares have lost 80% of their value. Uh-oh, sounds like insider trading. <laughs> uh, anyway, enough covering uh, those criminals. And sorry for those involved who aren't criminals. That must suck to be involved where essentially the lead of your company is a criminal or doing criminal or nefarious activities, and you're sitting there just trying to do your job and put all your energy into something. So, actually, I kind of feel for the people who don't really have a choice in that matter right <clears throat> okay um i I wanted to talk a little bit about Nintendo losing their uh president uh their American president rather uh reggie phil Phil's aim is it Phil yeah it's Phil's phil's aim I think that's how you pronounce it I never knew how to pronounce his last name I just call him Reggie obviously. But apparently they're renaming or they're naming a new president, uh Doug Bowser, which I'm sorry, that's just never not going to be funny. <laughs> Call me a child, but somebody with the last name Bowser is just never not going to be funny working for Nintendo. But poor Reggie, man. I mean, I know like we've memed about him and he's certainly been the butt of many jokes I don't, I don't think he's been that bad, you know? I think he's kind of led them pretty well in America, especially with as much as he can possibly do for a company that ultimately just cares about the Japanese market. That's the thing about some of these foreign companies. I think um, American companies are a lot more interested typically in being global. Whereas there's some Asian companies, uh, more so in Japan and Korea regions, I've noticed this a lot, where they're a lot more focused on their specific regions. So if their specific region isn't doing well, they don't really care about the other regions ultimately. The other regions are more like an extension. Nintendo has generally been that way, though I'd say that recently they probably started to kind of change that trend. Korea, on the other hand, Korea is very much that way. NC NCSoft, uh, perfect example. Nexon, perfect example. These companies, if their games aren't doing well in Korea, they'll just shut them down even if they're doing well in America. They don't really care about the other regions as much. It's just all about extension, right? It's like um, if my main market does well, then by in theory the other market is just extra. I don't need to worry about it too much. Doug used to work at EA. Oh boy, Doug Bowser used to work at EA. I mean, what if your last name was Bowser? If there's a bad company that you worked for, it probably would be EA, right? Yeah, I'm thinking a guy named last name Yoshi would probably work for like Ubisoft. Maybe, um, maybe a Mario would work for uh, Activision Blizzard. Don't forget, in the tweet with Doug being announced, there were plushes of Mario and Luigi tied up. Did they really do that? I've got to find this press release. What's his name, Doug? I don't think it's Doug Benson, Doug Bowser. <laughs> Twitter reacts. Okay. I just won't use your website then. That's okay. Congratulations, Doug Bowser. Okay. <laughs> Reggie has a message for all of us
3: Hi Nintendo you here. all right by now you may have heard the news yep
0: I can't even hear this because I don't have my headphones on
3: I wanted to reach out directly to you so I'll just stand Nintendo here and just community. pretend that I'm hearing it because there's one thing I really want to say thank you
0: it's, it's like the hat thank it just you for makes your you look never like supportive about something
3: and for your passionate love of Nintendo and personally, for giving me a mushroom kingdom full of incredible Man, he spent so long I will never...
0: at this company. That's that's just crazy to think about. Huh. I assure you, there's not a single Bowser works for Nintendo now joke lobbed at him. Gotcha. I mean, shit. I mean, he, he basically took a joke and made it his career. He was like, look, My last name is Bowser. I get it. You guys think that I'm related to Nintendo in some way. So why not just hire me as the president of Nintendo and just make this meme come full circle? I like full circle memes. So I hope hope this is a good signing just for the name value and memes alone. I like how we take a serious topic and then essentially make it a joke. (laughs) Time to get some earbuds. Yeah, if, if if I have to keep sitting in this um, costume, yeah, I think it, I mean, we just reached 50 subs again, so it looks like you guys are going to be keeping me in this outfit for at least another week. <laughs> Thanks for the subs, by the way. Um, I'll go through that at the end of the chat, so I don't want to make it too uh, annoying for the people who listen on SoundCloud and don't actually watch. I don't hold it against you guys, don't worry okay so let's go ahead and move to the mmos on the go segment i'm trying to move a little bit faster today um i've got to meet with um card after we're going to talk about star trek online um and i'm in the process of doing my star trek online piece so got to figure that out also the black desert online video that i did um i wanted to do a why i don't play one and it's been basically finished except for the actual video editing portion which i'm doing myself on this one so that one should be out by next weekend By the end of next weekend, like Monday, and there should also be another Death of a Game out. That's at least what's planned. Um, Yeah, that's the plan. I asked the guy uh, that I bought this hat from. He actually was like, um, it was a legit hat place. I wasn't super happy whenever I was in Philly to, to spend a lot of money on a hat, but ultimately I knew it was going to be one that I wore for a while. And um, I remember asking him, I was like, hey, I don't even know how to wear these hats. How do you wear these hats? And he kind of was like, well, you just want to tilt it just a little bit. So if you guys see me tilting it over and over again, that's why I'm tilting it. He taught me how to be the nerd. All right. So I don't have a whole lot of uh, topics to talk about with the MMOs in the go segment, but there is a pretty huge one that we have to talk about today. And that's concerning uh, Arena Net having some major layoffs. Uh, not yet, but there, there's been rumors that are confirmed that they're bracing for them. Oh, here's the tweet uh, that you meant. Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah, that does seem like a, an ode or a, or a sign or an omen. If I've ever seen one (laughs) that, that was honestly pretty good. But I don't know if that's necessarily the image that you want to kind of like be pushing, but it's all in good fun, right? Anyway, ArenaNet, uh, as the article says, is bracing for layoffs. The owner of, CEO, or of NCSoft, the CEO rather, says current situation, not sustainable plans for cuts across the board and merging of publishing divisions. <clears throat> he says our live game business revenue is declining as our franchises age. Delays in development on PC and mobile have created further drains against our revenue projects, projects, while our operating costs in the West have increased, where we are not sustainable, and it is not going to set us up for future success. So apparently ArenaNet in total has 400 people working on various projects, though the studio's main focus, as the article states, is Guild Wars 2. ArenaNet uh, confirms in a statement, We can confirm that due to the cancellation of unannounced projects, ArenaNet will be making staff reductions. This is part of a larger organizational restructuring within NCSoft in the West. But the Guild Wars and Guild Wars 2 game services will not be effective, nor is any upgaming... Ga- uh, sorry, upcame... Why am I saying... Say, or combining upcoming with game? Upgaming... Upcoming game content cancelled. Now... This kind of statement, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Because last time I I brought up a topic that was basically the exact same scenario as this. I had somebody tell me, well, it wasn't the team that was involved in the game. Or it wasn't the team that was involved with the team. And it's like, how do you know that? Like, how do we know where they restructured things? what these unannounced projects are, they could be Guild Wars related, right? I mean, it is Arena Net the company. It could have been Guild Wars related uh, projects. And so that's kind of like the interesting thing to me is that you can take this at face value, but I find that taking this type of thing at face value is very, very naive. Cutting a large por- portion of your uh, um, workforce, which hasn't been confirmed yet how many they're going to cut, but it's going to be mass layoffs, whatever is considered mass layoffs, clearly means this is something you have thought through. And this doesn't really surprise me, considering that this news is released after the news of their financials hit the web. And um, for those who don't know, NCSoft publishes their financials on their website, as they have to as a publicly traded company. Can you do the wall leaning thing with that hat for fan service when you hit the new landmark? Funny enough, I have a bunch of footage of me dressed up in this. It just hasn't been edited, edited yet and put into a video. Um, my editor, he's been busy and um, we're going to have to have a conversation if like I need to get another editor basically. Because I've been wanting to put it out now for about two months. <clears throat> but we recorded tons of footage of me dressed up in this. Tons of stupid uh, scenes, but also some good scenes too. Anyway, here's the re- the earnings release. We can pull up the earnings report for Q4 of 2018, which is the most recent Q. Now, scrolling down, um, the most interesting things to look for here are going to be down here. S- the section two, or sales breakdown, is usually where I like to get into the information. This is where I've done most of my research. And that's because you can essentially see what games they have, like what stables they have uh, out on the market, uh, or in their stable, rather, what games in their stable they have out in the market and how they're performing in relation to each other. So obviously, this is in uh, Korean won, I believe it's called. It's, this is not US dollars, so don't think that it is. As you can see here, the first queue of 2017 made more money than every category or every other game combined Times like four or something like times three and then if you look at the rest of their performance over Q eighteen, let's just do some quick math here, right? Like let's just do some basic math. So three twenty-seven one oh one two six four one oh six two oh nine nine oh nine two one six four ninety two 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 seven nine three okay so in total mobile games made them Uh one billion um actually wait a minute. Is that it says mobile game sales was up Korean. Let me see how much uh US dollars is billion. Oh sorry, I didn't mean to put (laughs) I I didn't mean to put it like that. Okay, so eleven 1 billion is equal to 1. Po- okay, gotcha. Korean won. So, this is in the millions then. I gotcha. Oh, it says it right there. I couldn't see it. <laughs> it was in small letters. But uh, anyway, that's that's million. Uh, Korean won, won right? What did it say? South Korean wons. Okay. They made 1.2 billion in, in just mobile games. Now, if we just, obviously, we don't even have to add all these other numbers, right? It doesn't take a genius to see that this number over here is pretty damn high compared in uh, relation to these other numbers. However, the most important number here to me is this number right here. If you look at Q4 2018 for Guild Wars 2, Q4 for Guild Wars 2 looks very, very bad. And this is not good at all because, theoretically speaking, in in a game that has a cash shop, the holidays is when you're going to make the most of your money. I mean, if you look at um, if you look at uh, lineage here, for example, lineage had its strongest month Q14 or Q4, right? Lineage two had its strongest month Q4. That's probably because these are very well established MMOs that have um, lots of events going throughout the holidays, right? That's generally why that kind of happens. You can have a drop. Sometimes in popularity because people can't play as many games during the holidays, right? Because they might have um, uh, exams or they might, you know, have holiday. They might be on holidays. But the troubling thing here is that by looking at this graph, you would think that these are comparable games, right? Like if you look at ION and you compare it over here to Guild Wars 2, its numbers now are a lot closer than they were by the beginning of the year. In the beginning of the year, Guild Wars had nearly triple Ion's uh, revenue, right? Whereas now when you look at them, it's only just inches off from the same amount of money that Ion just made in Q4 of 2018. This is worrying to me because Guild Wars 2 is, is a consensus most popular MMO right now, right? It's been a consensus most popular MMO probably the last five years at least. But it's, what I'm trying to say is that its financials don't really show that. And, and of course, that begs the question, why? Why is it that Guild Wars 2, despite its grand popularity, why can't it seem to make the same kind of money that these other games make? The easiest answer is staring us right in the face, right? It's the business model. It's pretty much the only game here that has a buy-to-play business model. Blade and Soul doesn't have a. Uh, does Blade and Soul even? Uh, Blade and Soul even have a uh, uh buy to play model in Korea? No, I don't even think they have a sub uh, model in Korea. Lineage has a has a uh, sub model still. Lineage two isn't. Lineage two is free to play. Ion is free to play. Blade and Soul is free to play. Uh, and and obviously the Western world. The reason why I question is is weirdly enough, Lineage and NC NCSoft as a company started as a sub fee or sub model company. They didn't do free-to-play originally that was more so nexon they caught wind of it after but it was kind of too it was kind of too close for that guild wars 2 i don't, I don't think guild wars 2 is free to play i don't think you can say that because yeah i guess it's free to play with a base expansion right but is that really free to play um the definitions these days are getting more and more murky people these days are saying that because the base game's free it's not a buy to play it's free to play but I don't know if that necessarily constitutes that the game is free because you need the other games to to end up playing, right? In any conceivable, serious fashion, you still need the expansions. I mean, it's kind of like in Guild Wars 1, um, it had completely standalone uh, expansions. So meaning even if you bought factions or bought um, uh, Nightfall, it didn't matter. You could still play the game standalone. Guild Wars 2 doesn't work that way. Expansions do cost, but you don't need them. Okay, so here's where I actually don't think you're right. Um, the game might be free to play base edition, but the vast majority of the story content and content in the game, period, is based around its its living story, the fractals, and all the different things that come with the expansion. So when a game is is based on developer made content, I've never really got the argument that buying the base game. Or by by the base game being free, the game is free to play. I don't I don't really agree with that because I think all of the content is still hidden behind the paywall. It's kind of like with ESO. ESO is a buy to play game um, where you sub and you can get access to the expansions or you buy the expansions individually and you can play with the expansions in that way. The thing about ESO though is that it's even if the base game is free, it's not really a free game because you still have to purchase, the other expansions in order to play the story content, which is the main point of the game. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is when I think of like a free-to-play game, I think of a game where you can basically play the majority of the content free. You don't have to buy anything. It's just more so that you spend money because uh, you want to buy a costume or you're incentivized to spend money because uh, you want more experience gain or whatever else. But <laughs> it, it made me realize like a, as I'm having this conversation that really the the ideas of the different business models have changed so drastically i mean guild wars has this interesting business model um you've got lineage in in korea which is still doing a sub model but the majority of games that are launching these days are obviously using free to play models and for good reason and when the mobile game genre is basically making more than your entire stable of mmos on the pc it's quite obvious why um arena net or in this case their parent company ncsoft is deciding that it's time for some layoffs especially in the west guild wars 2 despite its good population numbers and good just you know market share period it's not performing as well as it should be monetary uh monetarily speaking and i know that's re- in relation to this uh mobile market craze and these other free-to-play games which are blatantly pay-to-win in some cases I know Guild Wars Two doesn't have blatant pay to win, which is kind of why it doesn't do so well It's kind of what I'm saying is it's it's business model it's um I'm willing to bet my entire career that if NCsoft could press a button and change its business model, they would a hundred percent change the business model. I have no doubt in my mind that they are not satisfied with its business model, and i mean I mean it's kind of being proven right because Despite all of the good news, the good market share, the good presence that a game like Guild Wars 2 has, it's interesting because I've looked at financials for you know the past couple of years now. It's never particularly done very well. Even when it first came out, it had numbers in the 30 um, million won. But that's not really a whole lot when you compare it to Ion. Ion had the same kind of numbers. Wildstar had the same kind of numbers at launch. I've always been... Um, surprised how well guild wars 2 does and yet how little money it makes this kind of explains why they haven't been able to churn out as much content as they've needed to as the uh, article continues to explain uh, later on that former writer at guild wars 2 jessica price who is a total piece of work obviously but she said some pretty interesting things and she certainly has a lot more information about the subject than i do because she worked at the company for a number of years She said, ArenaNet had two projects in the works when I was there. One was indefinitely suspended while I was there. For those of us working on Guild Wars 2, our mandate was essentially to make it look like there was the same level of resources devoted to Guild Wars 2, when they were actually steadily moving people off of it onto other projects. It was bad enough at one point we were told that we could only have one cinematic for Episode 5, All or Nothing, which, given that it was the climax of the season and had more emotional beats than anything else we'd done, at least while I was there, was devastating. Now, of course, last bit, just take that what you will or take with that what you will. But her saying that they're trying to make it look like they're working really hard on Guild Wars 2 while they're working on other projects. I do not find that surprising at all because a vast majority of MMO companies that make MMOs for a living, meaning they've been around for like a decade plus. They have to work on other projects in order to diversify. And they can't put all of their eggs in one basket because really the MMO market is I mean it's so fickle that like overnight you can lose a large percentage of your audience. WoW is a perfect example of that, and I mean so is every other MMO that ever launched, right? Perhaps that's why they are combining NCSoft West with the ArenaNet publishing so they can alter the Guild Wars 2 business model. Um Huh. So they're they're recombining them? I thought that they they had them separate already because i like whenever i talk about guild wars 2 i often get people telling me yeah but guild wars 2 isn't isn't arena net or isn't um nc soft you can't give them credit for that and i'm like arena net's a subsidiary buddy <laughs> they've been a subsidiary now since i could remember <laughs> that's a long time okay <laughs> like they've been under nc soft's wing for a long time now I think it's funny that because they started to publish their own games for a little bit sorry their own expansions people were like see they're they're they no longer have korean interest they're no longer influenced by the korean market i mean come on guys it's a subsidiary (laughs) like they own the company you don't think they have influence it was mentioned in the restructuring announcement i'll have to check that out because i i've heard the opposite Argument mentioned to me all the time. Just the publishing? Well, that makes sense. My my argument for why NCSoft... Sorry, ArenaNet was doing their publishing in the first place was because they didn't want necessarily to have NCSoft's name associated with it, but also because Guild Wars 2, you know, sorry to say, it's not a Korean title. Like, it, it just isn't a Korean game. Like, pe- people will realize that about the game, right? The reason why... Got- ncsoft oh, is so eyes. willing to I'm cut sure. their workforce
2: eyes,
0: arena play net play in this case is because it's essentially not a korean game it's not a korean game i've said this from the very beginning you can look up so many different examples of this try watching my ion video for example as a really good example into how the korean market kind of functions but ultimately speaking guild wars 2 was never big in korea and and, and unfortunately because of the kind of game it is it's, it has some things that could be big in Korea. For example, costumes, um, costume collecting is big in Korea, right? But, I mean, I, I have German 2 in chat, so I know he's very aware of, of how Korean games are typically function, or how they typically function. Guild Wars 2 doesn't really fall into that mold, so I find that it's the closest under the chopping block, ironically enough, despite seeing these numbers, right? It's still performed better than Ion, right? So why isn't Ion more so on the chopping block than Guild Wars 2? That's because ION is still doing pretty well in Korea. And Guild Wars 2 just isn't. And I mean, if we look at regions, we can quickly see why the Korean region is the most important. Okay. So here's sales breakdown by region, right? Sales breakdown by region. Here's quarterly and here's yearly. Now, I really want you to pay attention to the numbers here. You notice anything in particular? What's the first thing that comes out to you guys? And by the way, I don't do this because you're stupid. I do this because I want you guys to work... Through this with me. Maybe the fedora makes me look a little bit more arrogant when I say that, but yeah. Pay attention to where it says US Europe in particular, right? Basically, the entire regions of US and Europe, which, as my Europeans and US fans in the in the chat know. That's a huge market. That market. All of it combined is... Statement. Something approaching joy is now growing in my behavior core. Actually, let's do the math. It's 155201 times 100 divided by 613936. So basically... The U.S. and Europe regions make twenty-five percent of what the Korean region makes. Twenty-five percent, right? Only twenty-five percent. Do you understand why, despite Guild Wars Two looking like it's successful, is not successful in their eyes? Because to them, having twenty-five percent of a market is is just not enough, right? It's chump change to them. They're 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 making. 75 percent more <laughs> with their main market and when you look at royalties which is what they make off of sub fees by the way royalties is their sub fees 122k in, in 2016 uh 40 uh from taiwan 49k from japan i mean this is just crazy to see it's been this way since 2016 When you look over at 2017, it's only getting worse. (laughs) In fact, the Korean number doubled. It doubled. This number doubled, look at this. Sorry, let me scroll it down so you guys can see the number. I see my camera's in the way. This number over here doubled. So let's do the math again for the most recent uh, financials of 2018, right? So we have this number. Actually, sorry, let me do it the other way. How do you, um, there it goes. It's uh one two eight two six four two six four. Um divide or multiplied right by a hundred divided by okay. So ten percent of the US and Europe market. (laughs) The US and Europe market makes up for ten percent of the Korean market currently right now in two thousand eighteen. Ten percent You can't like a, a corporation can't even wipe their ass with ten percent, right? As Kevin O'Leary would say on on Shark Tank, ten percent doesn't even get me out of bed, right? Ten percent for a for someone who makes millions of dollars and operates a million billion dollar company, ten percent's just like I mean it's 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 basically it's like it's a tip, right? You leave you leave a ten percent tip when you go somewhere. It's it's nothing in in the big scheme of things. And this is why this has me a bit worried about kind of like the future of MMOs coming from the Korean market. Because it seems like the Korean market, they're not really taking us serious anymore. They're not taking the U.S. and European market serious anymore. And it's so bewildering to me that we have U.S. and European fans who defend NTSoft on ION and these these other um, uh, Blade & Soul. They They defend them on these games. And, I mean, Guild Wars 2 by all accounts, is the Western, you know, WoW, if you will. It's like of the new age. It's the Western blockbuster. It was a huge Western blockbuster. Very popular game. Huge market share. You can't go to the MMORPG subreddit without hearing the name Guild Wars 2. But then you kind of realize, like, that's because those markets are dominated by the U.S. and European markets. Except that those markets are 10% of the Korean market. So it's just, ultimately speaking, it's such a small thing. They could probably cut out every market outside of Korea and lose a small fraction of their actual profits. That's the thing, is that you have to think about it from the perspective of, it's so interesting to me, if you can't see, I'm, I'm passionate about it, because Guild Wars 2, by all accounts, is a game that is performing well, right? It's putting out content, it has a loyal fan base. it attracts new players, it has a pretty fair business model, right? The base expansion, or say the base game, is free. That's pretty fair. But it's still not making enough money. And ultimately speaking, when you're subsidiary, when you are a subsidiary company of a company like NCSoft, that's what matters the most in the end. So I hope that there's not a whole lot of ArenaNet layoffs to happen. But I can't say that layoffs happening necessarily spells the end or anything right but it is a little bit worrying just to look at this trend of seeing how little the u.s and european markets matter really right anyway we don't spend a whole lot of time looking at financials so that was uh that was interesting thank you for sitting through that with me tried to make it as interesting as possible All right, what other topics that I have to go into? Oh yeah, there there's a kind of it's a bit of a rant, but um <laughs> All right, I'm I'm going to make some jokes, okay? We've been a little bit serious. Let's make some jokes. All right, so check this out on screen. I've got this this uh you know, I love going to the MMORPG subreddit because it's the it's the only place <clears throat> that something can get upvoted all the way to the top and be completely wrong right i'm just kidding it isn't but i always like saying that about this place anyway sometimes they always say some interesting things about um the market or people ask interesting questions this one was a funny post because first off it's a serious post for those who haven't read it it's a pretty good read it's a pretty good read now i'm not going to go through this whole thing um, I don't really have the interest, not to mention I already did go through it. But essentially, it's a guy talking about his life experiences, how he discovered RuneScape and, and MMOs, and how he played them hardcore for like five years. And, and um, it says, that too long didn't read. I used to play MMORPGs for five years, and I quit and got a life. I'm doing good now, but yet I often feel unhappy and get intensely nostalgic about playing or about the thought of playing again. Now, I thought this was pretty interesting. I'm trying not to spoil the punchline. I thought this was pretty interesting. As I, could, I could kind of relate, you know? I went through a similar experience where I had to basically put my life on track because I was spending way too much time playing video games and way too much time playing MMOs, right? I had a similar experience. But then when I got to the end and I read that he had only been playing MMOs for five years, I thought to myself, <laughs> <laughs> those are rookie numbers. Are you kidding? Five years? <laughs> <laughs> uh sorry five years come on man five years (laughs) five years all right sorry i've got the outfit on so i feel like i have to be the pompous nerd today but no sorry five years is just funny to me i if you want to think about it right at this point the first time i ever played an mmo was 2001 so that was 18 years ago and that mmo was a social mmo named hobo hotel the first multiplayer game i ever played was diablo the second mmo i ever played aka like the first real mmo i ever played was guild wars 1 followed by star wars galaxies in 2003 2004 around that time right and so it sometimes i almost forget how long it's been and so when I got to the end <laughs> and I saw that he put five years, I just I was like, man, here was I thinking that I could relate, right? And then I get to the end and I'm just like, dear lord, man, I spent eighteen years playing these games. But uh, anyway, that was just a funny joke of mine um that I wanted to meme about. Yeah, Habbo Hotel is um <laughs> Taj Gunn's like, that's not even enough to ruin your job prospects. (laughs) He needs to get better. (laughs) Five years is like a warm-up. Five years, he finally hits the end game and quits. (laughs) Uh, um, I personally want to get into an MMO, but I don't see anything interesting. I wish I was there for Star Wars Galaxies. That one sounds fascinating. Let me me dive into that, because I know we we joke and we mean... I do feel for the next generation of MMO players because I, I feel for them because I wish that they had a similar experience that I had, and that doesn't mean that they need to go back to the same exact game. I, I've never been a purist. I've never, I never believed that you have to play the exact game that I played at the exact time and you're going to experience it the exact same way. Like I'm not a purist. Like things work in the past, things don't work, and so you have to look at like what they do right, what they do wrong, and that's kind of what I see as the future of MMOs. Of course, is like looking at the past trying to do what they didn't do, right? Implement better or innovate better, and then rinse and repeat. But it is a bit sad sometimes when I get, I get asked from guys who don't play a whole lot of MMOs and they watch my channel and they're just like, hey look, I don't really play MMOs and I've been interested in getting involved in them. Do You have one in particular that you could recommend to me and I hate having to constantly tell this person, no, I don't, I don't really. And even, you can cha- You can tell by the change in my voice, I get a little bit solemn about it. It's a bit sad. I-, I feel sad that I can't really suggest something in particular. on my Based on my preferences. Now, if somebody comes to me with a stable of game and asks me a question out of one of these, what do you think? Then I would just ask them, okay, what are you interested in? Um, what's your favorite type of experience? And then try and pinpoint whatever exists in the market. I'm still going to try and help, because I feel bad ultimately. But... I think about that sometimes, that there are people out there who didn't have those experiences that we did. They didn't get to play these games when they were still basically trying to be virtual worlds. And I won't rant too much about virtual worlds, because that's one of my favorite things to rant about, as you guys know. But back then, it was about the world, right? And it was about the people in the world. These days, things have been gamified so much that it's just a game. Did anybody else notice that? These days, when you play things after, you might have some fun, but then you think to yourself, and I'm talking about MMOs in particular, what did I do? Like, what was that? Do I want to keep doing that? And I know that sounds strange, because I made this point when I was talking about Black Desert Online in my video, which you guys haven't seen yet, but I made a point similar to the fact of where it's like, ultimately, in Black Desert Online, if you find the combat loop fun, and you find going camp to camp to camp, rinse and repeat to grind and make more money fun, then... By all means, go play that kind of game, right? But what do you do if you don't find that kind of game fun? Because ultimately, that's a game, right? That's not a world. In no world do you go NPC camp to NPC camp, NPC camp, making money. Like, the real world doesn't work like that, right? Like, you don't just go and kill camps and make money. So, they they made things more about games. How How much game can we fit into this one hour block of time, right? but what about the player who wants two hours of time? What about the player who wants to only put in one hour a day or one hour a week, but they have a goal that takes three months to reach? They lost a lot of that long form kind of progression. And I think really that's like a big hook for your audience is if I can do this overnight, who cares, right? Who cares if I could do this overnight? But if this takes me three months and a whole guild, all working together and supporting each other? I mean, me personally, that's what I'm interested in. And so I realized as I got older, I always liked RPGs and I still like RPGs, but nothing is more interesting to me than an RPG that you can play with your friends, right? You can play with other people and meet other people. And it's sad to think that there's not a whole lot of new MMO experiences out there that I can suggest to somebody who wants to meet people? Who wants to experience things? Who wants to really dedicate themselves, you know? Have to put a lot of time and and effort into their long-form progression. There's not a whole lot of these MMOs that exist on the market right now. And um, it's usually why when, when people ask me, what MMOs do you play? Or what MMOs should I play? I just ask them what they like, right? Because ultimately, I know that this marketplace right now isn't the best for me. I mean, look at this fedora, dude. They can't find a place for this. But that's okay as long as I keep doing my due diligence to make sure eventually they do. <laughs> Which is why I do this work ultimately. I love the MMO industry so much that above all else, I wanted to succeed, right? If, if my career fails tomorrow, trying to be a failed YouTuber or whatever else, I'll get on with my life, right? I have other prospects in life. I can, I can move on in my life. But I would never stop loving MMOs. And I would never stop loving games. And I would never stop hoping that they can push towards you know the future. Push towards something more than what they are now. Which is... I'm sorry. Right now, MMOs in many cases come across as just... It's just like McDonald's, basically. It's just like you're eating fast food. Eat it after. You don't remember it. You don't. You don't want to remember it. In fact, it kind of makes you feel guilty. You're just like, uh, eh. all, right. all right. It's a McDonald's. <laughs> That's how I feel, at least. Totally. I really want to experience the actual so- social aspect of an MMO while retaining actual gameplay. Bless is his main game. blesses his main game it's also probably why Star Citizen Chronicles of Illyria, Ashes of Creation Camelot Unchained are so successful in crowdfunding because so many people want to see something that's a bit more than just the average run-of-the-mill MMO missing the RPG I also think that those particularly good sorry those are particularly good at cashing in on certain nostalgic aspects SC is not nostalgia to me SC is the future, the promise of the future. Sorry, Star Citizen, for those who don't get the acronym. Star Citizen is the promise of the future. That's kind of why people are willing to put money into the idea, even though it's just an idea, mostly. Chronicles of Illyria is kind of one of those that's almost like wanting to just punch the audience in the face in the typical sense of being like, our game is not typical and you got to accept that. Um, not a whole lot of experienced devs working on the game. So the idea of, like, the permadeath thing is cool, but just seems like an idea to me at this point. Ashes of Creation, with their node system, is essentially trying to bridge the gap between a game and a virtual world. And what I mean by that, with the node system, they're trying to make it meaningful to interact with your environment. Because it gives you more XP, because it changes the way the game plays, etc. This concept is called emergent gameplay. Emergent gameplay is essentially the idea that you can't have the same experience again. And I know ultimately you always can. But what I mean is is like if I go to a orc village and I shout out some orc language to them and they respond to me because they actually understood my language, that's an emergent piece of gameplay. No one set that up. That's not, you know, an instance. It's not a cinematic or cutscene it's just another player noticing that i'm speaking his language responding to me right that's that's emergent gameplay what ashes of creation is trying to do essentially is is bridge the gap between what is considered a game and what's considered a world the problem is is that it's still just a bridge right it's not it's not the full thing yet to me it's just it's the in between point um again we're talking about the ideas process any i talk about kickstarter mmos or mmos that don't have working playable and easy to access open betas or playable betas, I always refer to them as if they're ideas, even though they have some sort of gameplay in place. That's because ultimately speaking, (laughs) if it was all about ideas, guys, don't you think I would have tried to make an MMO already? I mean, seriously, like I've played so many MMOs. If this industry was just about ideas, why wouldn't I just make a game, right? But it's not just about ideas about money (laughs) it's about support it's about having the right processes and the right systems and the right infrastructure the right resources right there's a lot more that goes into it an idea is that it's just an idea it's essentially something that's not tested right now some people test their ideas and i don't want to say that your idea is completely untested but generally speaking it's pretty untested so right now i can tell you guys in my game you will be able to traverse to the other universes, go at light speed, and really engage in emergent alien gameplay. My game in actuality could turn out to be instant space with instance um, hyperspace uh, cutscenes to another instance location, followed by instance monsters or NPCs attacking me. Right? It doesn't it's not really that exciting, right? But I made it sound exciting. It sounded so cool. Like I could go anywhere in the the universe and discover everything and all the different aliens. But then you play the game and you're just like, this is like a fourth of the idea. And I didn't start noticing this, frankly speaking. Story time. I didn't start noticing this until SwoTOR. SwoTOR was the first time that I really understood. Man. I'm the reason that these games are letting me down. I'm overhyping them. I'm not looking at them critically because I want them to do so well, so badly. A Star Wars game and another MMO in the Star Wars universe, I wanted it to do badly so bad. And when we got what we got, I remember for me, it was just like, this was out of nowhere, I kept saying. This totally caught me off guard. I was so surprised by it. Then I started looking back at it all, and I did my video on it, and then I was just thinking to myself, I wasn't really surprised. I would have known. If I followed the signs, the gameplay footage that they released at PAX was horrible. I'm sorry, it was horrible. But why did I deal with it? Why why did I stomach it back then? Because I wanted it to succeed so badly. Basically, I was sold on the idea of it. Another Star Wars MMO that's all about story. That idea had me sold, right? I was sold. I was in Mark. I was totally sold. But what we got was basically a single-player game with multiplayer features. And so that was like the first time I really had a super high expectation of something that was just nowhere near, remotely near what it ended up being. And it really made me evaluate myself. Like, why was that? Like, How did I think it was going to be something totally different? And part of it was the Star Wars Galaxy's nostalgia. Part of it was I loved BioWare as a company, one of my favorite companies ever. <clears throat> well, I don't know if I can say that anymore. Rip. Um, and Star Wars, one of my favorite franchises ever. Really, it was just a perfect storm, right? But it wasn't, obviously. And so that's just, to me, a perfect example of how you can only take an an idea at face value. can't take it that seriously. Because ultimately speaking until we can actually play any of these games, Ashes of Creations, Chronicle of Illyria, Chronicles of Illyria, Pro Fall, Camelot Unchained, Star Citizen, etc., Fractured, until we can play these games and actually they function the way that they were advertised to us, the way the idea advertised it to us, I can't feel in good faith that I can suggest that to somebody else. So that's why I never really... And, I, and I've mentioned this before, but I never really like to suggest crowdfunded mmos to people because it's just like i don't feel confident in being like hey that's a good way to spend your money right i have to feel good about that and so the question really is is if you believe enough in the idea and you're willing to part with your money support a crowdfunded mmo i'm not saying don't support them we need to support crowdfunded mmos because we need uh developers who aren't being corralled and and held by the hand by a publisher by a big publisher right we don't need any more of that we already have that look at the f- four or five biggest players in the in, in the space right now Zenimax Beth- Zenimax Bethesda Activision Blizzard right Square Enix right and NC Soft these are huge massive companies right of course their mmos are working right now in the space There are different skins of each other. They've got the resources to to essentially afford that kind of game. It's going to be the crowdfunded MMOs that probably innovate. It's going to be them. They might fail. Isn't that kind of funny how that works? To be innovative, you have to take risk. To take risks, you increase the chances of failing. The reason why the big players in the market seem so similar is because they're blatantly similar. It's business. Like again, anyone who, who understands business. And if you don't, just do like basic one-on-one class. You'll understand this concept really early on. Anytime you look at a market, the top players are almost always inches away from each other. The things that are different are the intangibles oftentimes, is the story, is the background. Maybe they have a message, right? But generally speaking, at the higher levels, the products are pretty similar. The MMO market is no different than that, really. The products are pretty damn similar. For me, it's more of a matter of, How much money is it going to take to do something innovative that's exciting enough that pushes the market forward and then the big corporations decide to copy that and turn that into a game? That's essentially how the market's going to function. At least that's how I see it. Because again, I'm just using my knowledge of other markets. Boom and bust period. During a boom period or the bubble period, every MMO was working. Every MMO was hitting. And then boom, that bubble popped. Everyone realized they can't be wow. They can't get wow level numbers. And they started just basically just copying wow um outright that didn't work either and so people stopped being innovative they stopped copying and now it's almost just like the only mmos we get is basically from the korean market right or or the asian market because they're still working over there but they're not really working as much over here there's a lot into it huh it's a a bit of a mess but.
2: but you've got the wrong guy
0: Do we consider instant-based games like um, Diablo and Neverwinter MMOs? I never did. As a kid, I never considered those to be MMOs. In my eyes, uh, Massive was always described as thousands of players. But I've had this discussion before. There's too many semantics when it comes to discussion about MMOs, and I feel like I'd like to be one of the people to start that conversation to actually start holding people accountable for, like, terms, terminology, right? And obviously, in particular, I just mean, like, what is considered a massive multiplayer online game? If massive is 20 players, Neverwinter falls under that category. If massive is, you know, before players or something like that, 32 players, lots of shooters fall under that category of massive, right? but how much is considered massive? Like how many players? Like where do we draw the line? On a single server, on an MMO single server, oftentimes the the player cap is going to be, I'd say about a thousand, right? Like we've seen a thousand to about 2,500 on a couple servers. I I would say that's pretty fair. So if we're seeing a lot of servers that have a thousand player caps, that's why people kind of assume that massive meant a thousand players. I think it was just like, Almost coincidental to some extent. But it's also because, of course, the people who came up with the term had no frame of reference for what massive would be. Like back then, massive in a mud was like 10 dudes in the same chat room or something, right? And Hobo Hotel, like 30 dudes in the same room was massive to me. Like I didn't know what the concept of massive was or massive was until I played a massive multiplayer online game, like one that I could truly consider to fall under the moniker of massive. Albion, um, Darkfall. Dark Age of Camelot, Wow, wow, not recently, but wow, old school, wow, those games to me felt massive, they felt big, like the worlds felt big, people there's always people around you, obviously galaxies, my favorites those worlds felt big to me. I mean galaxies of course, is one of my favorite examples to to make because you could travel to different planets and on different planets, there's different people living there, so. I mean, it really felt like a massive world. Not just a single world. I mean, like, the actual like, roleplay world. My first true massive experience was Bizarre Day in the Tunnel outside Freeport. <laughs> That's. I, I, I know exactly where that is. That's so cool. Hey, uh, appreciate the subs. Uh, the gifts, actually. Uh, AKA H. He subbed Leva 98989 and iRami's. That's 24 in total. We're at 53 overall. I think I should change my infographic. I'm actually getting kind of close to the end of the podcast, honestly. Um, I was really tired today. Not feeling so great. And um, (laughs) if you guys want to know the truth, I actually forgot about my outfit. I'm glad I already had it because I would have been in trouble. But I, I already had it, of course. It was just about... In working shape the only thing that's a little bit off is i would have liked to kind of blow or not blow dry but but iron my sleeves out they're a little you can see they're a little bit kind of but other than that it's working and i'm not burning to death in here so that's always a good thing too i thought i was gonna sweat my ass off yeah eve yeah exactly eve definitely nails the massive aspect when it comes to mmos let me see if i had any other topics that i wanted to get to here um nah, it doesn't look like it okay i'll go ahead and open the floor up to everybody to ask any questions you guys would like to ask um let me change the section Yeah, we're at 53 subs overall. A.K.H. is... uh, I don't know why I cannot say your name today. A.K.H. Oh, it's probably because of my mouth. Sometimes I forget to drink water. Anyway, as A.K.H. is saying in chat, we're at 53 subs overall, which means that as long as we stay over 50, I keep wearing the outfit. That's how I can... That's how I can rationalize sweating to death. But if we can get to 100, I wanted to do a special stream, like a karaoke stream or something. Um, Maybe a karaoke. It's actually 54 because I sub two. All right. Well, fair enough. It's 54. Thank you, Fruit Hoops. That's a, that's a good one, by the way. All right. So, yeah. I, I'm just going to go ahead and open up the floor to all kinds of questions. If you have any questions you'd like to ask me them in Discord, you can join the Podcast Lobby channel. <clears throat> Excuse me, as you can tell, I'm lo- losing my voice. I did my voiceover yesterday. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's always funny trying to talk to people out in like you know the real world or whatever, and they like hear my voice and they're just like, they probably just think I sound like I smoke 16 billion times a day and I'm a literal ashtray. But it's more like my voice after 5,000 words in a row just <laughs> it just dies. <laughs> Anyway, if you have any questions you'd like to ask me in voice chat, you can join the podcast lobby channel on my Discord. That's discord.gg slash nerdslayer. Uh, card is in the chat. I can queue you up. You can't make it in Discord. It's fine. You can at me in Twitch chat, and I will answer your questions there. Um, looks like Germans who has a question, so I'll go ahead and answer a few of these in chat, and then I'll drag him in to see what his question is about. The first question I have is from Iramis. Is it Ramis or Ramis? Sorry, the Hispanic in me is trying to pronounce that. Ramis. Ramis. What should I ask? Well, okay. What do you think about Funcom, MMOs, Anarchy Online, The Secret World, Age of Conan? So Funcom is quite possibly one of the most interesting MMO companies, I think, period. I don't really think it's debatable. Because when have you had a company just really just create almost just polar opposite kind of games? Like, you have anarchy online which is a very deep very um analytical and very traditional sandbox whereas the secret world is almost entirely a story-based experience right and then you have age of conan which was mainly about pvp uh in the end though it did have a big push initially towards raiding and stuff like that the interesting thing about funcom is that They have great ideas like you cannot dispute the fact that funcom has great ideas i don't think you can dispute that look at so many of their games many of their ideas have been taken (laughs) other companies take their ideas funcom comes with comes up with all the best ideas but they're damn horrible at implementing them they are horrible at implementing their ideas Every damn one of their games I play is a buggy mess, dude. I'm sorry. At this point, I just I got tired of of trying to, you know, beat around the bush with Funcom. I tried to play Age of Conan, and at one point, I was going to do an, an unchained stream, uh, where I played Age of Conan unchained. That's like the free to play version, and <laughs> literally could not even buy anything in the shop. Like it, the shop wouldn't even work. And I'm thinking to myself, you guys can't even get the part of the game that makes you money downright after all of these years and the game still performed like it did back then as well so i remember i was just like i threw my hands up i was like look i recorded some footage on my age of conan video but i didn't get as much as i wanted because sorry i'm not i'm not subjecting myself to that shit have you ever considered oh one second did i miss another one if you're keeping the outfit, then get some earbuds. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna look into doing that. I appreciate that, uh, Zella. I think. Um, I think Card mentioned that. The Secret World is one of those MMOs. I wish just had a better combat system. Such an interesting world. Totally agree. Also love the questing system in that game. One of the best questing systems ever. I can't wait to cover that game on Death of a Game. Not because I'm happy that it's not do- doing particularly well, especially after its relaunch. But because I think it's so interesting that I'm really interested in seeing what flaws it does have. Because, like, that's the cool thing is, is I'm, I'm addicted to learning. Like, I just love learning, period. And I love MMOs. So, like, this channel allows me to combine learning with also learning MMOs. Unfortunately, I, I do get certain things wrong which reminds me, before the podcast end today, I want to talk about some of the big criticisms that I have concerning my Dirty Bomb video. After every death of a game, the next following podcast, I want to address some of the biggest points of criticism from that specific video or, or geared towards that video because I kind of see it as, instead of me replying endlessly in the comments, which I do sometimes because I generally try and read every single comment, I a- end up answering the same questions all the time. So I'm thinking I might end up just doing... Like almost like a post-fight post, a post fight analysis sort of thing on my um, podcast following uh, A Death of a Game. But I'll do that a little bit later. Let me get to some of these questions still first. <clears throat> Have you ever considered throwing your name in the hat for an MMO, meaning offering a company help, whether it be ideas? I assume you catch my drift. I can reword it if you like. No, I understand it. And actually, I'm totally open and willing to be a consultant consultancy funny enough is actually the career path that I will likely end up having uh, or would likely end up having if I didn't do this like if I didn't decide to do YouTube I'd be a consultant because I I enjoy analyzing things looking at their strengths and weaknesses and then evaluating the correct or most effective way to solving those issues like that's I genuinely find that interesting I love mysteries for that reason I love to build the case and then figure it out right that being said. Um, what you'll often find is, is that people aren't so willing to trust somebody, um, who they can't control. I think it's a little bit part of it is that companies don't come to me as much because they're a little bit more afraid that I'm going to be honest, uh, I would say. But I also think the other aspect is that if I were to sign a contract to want to do consultancy work with a company, I would be very serious about it. Like I would not take it as a laughing matter. It wouldn't be a joke to me. Like. I'm not saying I couldn't have fun. I'm saying that if a company really wanted to bring me on as a consultant, they would pay me accordingly and I would work accordingly. That being said, I don't know why people haven't really leveraged that exactly. I I mean, I can be the first to tell you many people have asked me advice. If it's longer than like a question or a paragraph, I don't typically respond because I'm sorry, uh, guys, <laughs> I'll answer all of your questions because you're not asking me how to make games. <laughs> you're asking me about just, you know, personal questions about what I think or, or your idea about this or that. But um, when you get good at something, never do it completely for free, right? So I'm not going to advise people how to make good games for free. <laughs> so sometimes I get developers who think that I do that. Um, I will never do that. So you will have to pay me to have my undivided attention. I've always been that way because I believe that's the best relationship to have with somebody is you know that you're essentially paying them for the content that they give you. And anyway, time to start putting together your consulting prices. Funny enough, uh, at the moment, they're not very high. They're not very high because I want to get more experience, uh, specifically with consulting MMOs. Um, I've done, obviously, some work with Amazon. The unfortunate thing is, though, and obviously I'm under NDA, so I can't talk about any of the shit that I said, but someday I will be able to after NDA's lift. Lifted, I can tell you guys everything that I told the developers face to face. Um, one of the problems I realized is is depending on the time in which they bring you on in the project, depends on how much you can actually affect things. In the case of um, Amazon and New World, they brought content creators on basically after they already had like a working model of the game. So that kind of means that like they can polish things, but they can't really change like the essence of the game. So I'm more interested in being involved. In a game in early processes. That way I can stop problems from happening before they happen and not have to sit there with the giant elephant in the room trying to tell a company, a billion dollar company, that um maybe we should think about some other things. But that's all I'll say. <laughs> other than bloodlines, do you have any int- actually let me bring in Germa 2 first before I answer the rest of those questions? hey uh did you have a question yeah um let me put my headphones on so i can hear you you're good <laughs> just let me know when you're good this is probably a good idea right? i look like i'm like a an underground dj right now holding my headphones up like this <laughs> you're
2: good. yeah that works all right um I think my question changed like three times but i'll just do a quick one because i don't want to take up too much time okay. so i was um oh, fuck, i just had it on the tip of my tongue uh oh now i remember so the original question i had was about the uh, whole mmo definition and like uh it's actually funny that that was brought up because i had a discussion with a few people on the server for that and um <laughs>
0: sorry this guy's like <laughs> you look like a French World War II resistance radio operator. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: pretty good. Yeah. All right. But um, you're fine. Uh, I was just discussing with uh, two of the other people on the server. And it wasn't like negative or anything like that. But it was just like kind of a back and forth thing. And, you know, it was actually kind of an interesting topic because, you know, most people think massive. They think, you know, thousands of people on the same server know that and it's like for me. You can argue that, but at the same time, I don't think that really counts because you don't see all those people at the same time. Because there's no game you can really see, like, a lot of people on screen at once to that scale, save for, like, for me, you know, text-based mods or, like eve games like that because like even with wow technically speaking like yeah you can see you know up to like 50 people in an area but when you go into like the later content quote unquote you know like instances and stuff you're you're not with everyone else on that server you're only with like a small group of people so to me i don't think like that necessarily counts in a sense like i don't think player scale should really be something that should be the only gauge for it and you know, I look at say like Warframe, and people say, "Well, that's like a lobby shooter." You know, it doesn't really count. And it's like, yeah, but I look at lobbies in the same way as like you know, uh, an instance raid finders and yeah. all that are done too. Yeah, so I think I, I me, think I see what
0: you're saying. Yeah, like that, that's how, honestly, it's a really fair point. Is if somebody's going to have the discussion with you uh, where they're going to say that Warframe isn't an MMO because it's a lobby-based game, then I mean, yeah, basically, you can immediately ask the same question. With a game that they like, that's an MMO. You can say, "Well, what's so different about a game that has like 16 different instances, and it right. only and lets you have up to 20 or 30 people in that instance?" It's like this. It's not any different. I, I'm with you. I think it's very similar.
2: Yeah, and and the other thing that was brought up was, you know, the whole persistent world thing, and and again. That, I don't think there's any game that really does that besides maybe EVE. And even then, it's like, eh, kind of debatable. Like, there really isn't, like, at least modern day online games, you won't find anyone with a real, real, like, persistent worlds. So I don't even know if that can really be used as an argument. Because, like, that goes back to our topic last week where we were talking about, like, virtual worlds and how no one really do that anymore. Most games are just treated as, like, a service, and that's really it. So, I, I don't know. I, that's just how I feel. Like, yeah, at the same time, the whole, I guess, definition, you could say, has been, like, kind of muddled to the point where a lot of games can be labeled as such, even though they're technically not. But, I don't know. The definitions kind of vary, too, because, like, no real game follows that staple, you know, definition. Like you said, um, you know, when the guys came up with that back then, like, in the 80s and 90s, I'm pretty sure Massive Sim was, like, Twenty people in one server
0: that's what cracks me up though about you know many of like founding fathers of any industry people will often say like oh well then like what do the founding fathers think it's like well what they thought is so different than what people think now because everything has changed <laughs> so it's like maybe back then massive was 20 players in a room that probably was massive at one point i mean shit yeah. for me 20 players in a room in a land party was massive all right <laughs> yeah trust me I remember doing
2: LAN parties for, you know, Unreal and all those games back then in the late 90s, so I'm very well aware, but yeah, I don't know, I I always think it's like a, just a fun topic, because you always have people with different definitions of what an MMO really is, and you know, then people go with the argument of like, well, League's not MMO or Counter-Strike's not an MMO. It's like, technically not necessarily, but I think they are part of a sub-genre of MMO. So technically they are? I don't know. It gets a little like finicky when you start getting into the sub and specific ones like MOBAs and all that too. So I don't know. I just don't think there's technically a concrete definition. And if there is or was, like, no game really fits that these days. Most games dumb anyways.
0: I it's like I've never really waded into the territory of answering the question of what is an MMORPG because it sounds like such a simple question. But right. I actually <laughs> think it's one of those questions that's so unbelievably hard to explain that I I'd have to do like a fully produced, like basically a documentary on it. That that that's what I want to do. Like in the future, I, I I have serious interest in doing a documentary on answering the question essentially of what is an MMORPG because it means so many different things So I want to go to essentially the source, but also talk to people who grew up maybe in a different age who can talk about what their view of an MMO is as well. Because, I mean, for me, if I want to be elitist about it, which honestly speaking, I'm getting more and more that way. And what I mean by that is that I'm getting more and more the way where if it doesn't fit into a certain category based on, you know, certain specifications, I don't think you can assign it to that category. And and the reason why I say that is because MMOs lately have become a buzz thing to say. Like, everyone wants to be an MMO and be like, yeah, massive multiplayer. I'm, like, I'm an MMO. Like, you know, and then you're just like, are you really an MMO? Like, based on the idea of, like, what originally was an MMO, are you an MMO? The answer is usually not. And so I think, if anything, we need people to be more elitist with the term MMO and actually hold others accountable when they're using it as a marketing tactic. Yeah. I, I also I, agree with Fruit Hoops in chat. He says he doesn't think it's really fair to set an exact number on massive. I mean, obviously, none of us are an authority, including me. I mean, I have some level of authority, but I'm not an authority. So it we're, we would all have to have a conversation about it, like as MMO fans, about what we think is fair to describe as massive, right? Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's what I mean is that you can't really go off just numbers because, like, I guess you say online games themselves have evolved so much since then. And it's one of those things, at least for me, you know, I've I've been going back, especially the last few months, uh, and just watching a lot of, uh, you know, behind the scenes and developer kind of documentaries on, like, older games especially, and even, like you know, your your older Death of a Game videos where you can see that yourself, where it's, oh yeah, you know, uh, this game, uh, it was made so long ago, and this is like the beginnings of like, how it was done, especially when you look at the the late 90s, like EverQuest 1, and even like Final Fantasy 11, like all those games, and how that kind of, uh, you know, got first put into perspective, and, i mean heck i remember that like i remember uh for me i didn't play everquest one i watched my cousin play on uh, on dial-up and i remember you know i was let's see like 99 i was probably like eight or nine when that came out and i remember watching him play and and i just thought like it was the coolest thing because up until that point you know i I'd, I'd only played stuff on like super nintendo and in somewhat playstation and was like yeah that's cool but then like you you watch and and i remember like him explaining to me the concept of like oh yeah you know this guy right here he's he's my friend he's from this many states over and then this other guy he's like on the other side of the world like that whole concept was just mind-blowing to me as a kid and then you know i got to experience it uh actually you know uh, which i'll get into another story about how that works but like you know final fantasy 11 was technically my first mmo as a kid because i had that on ps2 and that was that was a nightmare setup i still remember that
0: i remember the first time i tried to play final fantasy 11 and i realized you had to have a sub fee for it yep i was so like heartbroken man i like installed all the discs and everything on my pc i got it at a uh, yard sale (laughs) I mean most yeah. MMO discs that I would get, I'd get them from yard sales because people no, would I realize they're in. MMOs <laughs> and yeah. sell them. And I would yeah. buy them for obviously like super, you know, cheap amounts.
2: That's actually how I got um City of Heroes was through a yard sale. Um we went up the street when I was uh I think I was a teenager at the time, like a preteen, and we were going through one of the garage sales up the street and this mom had, like, City of Heroes, like, never been used because I guess she bought it for her kid and then didn't see, like, that it required a subscription fee on the bag. And so it was, like, it was never open, like, at all. And so I remember begging my mom to just get it and then, you know, trying to explain to her the concept of, like, a sub game. And she's just like, but why? Why should you have to pay extra for a game? That's stupid. And that was just because, like, up to that point, you know, I'd always paid for games myself. Like I would, you know, do chores or do menial tasks around and get money and buy games myself. And so like with this, with, I think city of heroes, that was probably the first time where I couldn't just do that because they didn't have time cards for it. You had to uh set up a credit card for it. And so trying to convince my mom for that, that was, that was tough. It's a tough time. And I mean, that's a topic for another time. Like, you know, my friends like joke, like, yeah, we had to hustle back then for it. And yeah, in a way, kind of was.
0: <laughs> it was. It was pretty much the same for me, and it's it's just funny to think that. I mean, the kids that are going to grow up in the future now, they're probably never going to have that experience because I don't mm-hmm. think future MMOs are really going to be based around sub fees anymore. I mean, it's obviously been pretty. Odd. I know I'm not saying anything revolutionary, but yeah. there hasn't been any evidence that it's making a comeback, so.
2: Yeah. It's it's always uh it's always funny, uh, having my second cousins ask me about that too. Like uh I remember in particular one of them asked me like this is probably a good year or two back, like saying, Oh, you guys is it true you guys didn't have like this, this and this and he was like just naming all stuff like tablets and all that. I was like, Yeah, I don't think any of us really pictured it even back then when, when you know, we were your age. I mean besides through stuff like Star Trek, which you know, a lot of people don't know, that kinda is what led to a lot of the modern actually devices we have is is from star trek because like i don't remember the exact story i was told about that but someone said like oh yeah you know the concept of like tablets and cell phones actually came from star trek because of like the concept was so cool back then and it's just kind of funny to think about like yeah i can see that but um yeah the way off tangent but yeah <laughs> my main my main i'm, I'm sorry I, I do that a lot but the main thing was just like Like I don't know definition of MMO, and like you said, maybe it is just a case of, you know, people need to kind of not really talk down, but like discuss it and really get a more set in stone definition of it, because at this point, it really is kind of just tossed around to the point of losing most of its meaning at this point.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Ultimately, to to essentially, um, uh, put a bow on it. Ultimately, if the term itself becomes meaningless because it has too many meanings or not a specific meaning in itself then yeah i mean essentially there's no reason to call anything an mmo anymore because nobody's going to fall for that marketing anymore people were falling for it for a bit anytime someone said mmo it was working as marketing but i i saw something interesting where the previous um developer slash uh ceo at blizzard i think it was was it rob pardo i think he said that um these days, you're not really going to see people um, advertise it as an MMO as much anymore because it's almost like a bad thing to advertise as these days. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, it's like one of those stigmas now,
2: like of game genres where it's like, um, you know, MOBAs were like that for a while. Mm-hmm. I remember when like League blew up and all these games came out, MOBAs. And then.
0: Yeah, on the way up, when the market's on the way up, everyone's like, yeah, I'm an MMO. I'm a MOBA. But then when you're on the way down, you're like, okay, we're not really an MMO, we're not really a MOBA. Or or like
2: you <laughs> said, you know, the whole WoW killer thing. Like, I remember uh, actually a more recent example uh, was when, not this last expansion uh, that came out last year for a while, but the one before it, uh, there was a knockoff kind of copy of WoW that came out. It was like an, quote, Asia's version of it that was coming out in the West, and literally it's... um. It's trailer, and I, I've linked in the server a few times. I'll link it later on uh, if we get back on topic about it. was like, oh, Legion? Oh, forget about that game. Come play this instead. And it's just like, oh, man. That's <laughs> still a thing to do. I mean, the game failed unsurprisingly because it was crappy, but it, just, it makes me laugh when you see a uh, smaller games trying to take jabs at bigger ones. Like, you know, Rift did that. Remember that? It's like, this isn't Azeroth anymore. It's just it's really funny to me thinking back on that.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Um, I thank you for stopping by, um, and asking your question, and also explaining or sharing with us your experiences. It's um, I I think on on the surface, it's so easy for people to say that a game is a game, but MMO players can't say that so easily because MMOs just aren't games. Like anyone who says an MMO is just a game just doesn't understand, you know, essentially what you can do in that type of world. I mean at that point it's not just a game right it's 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 way more than that so i've always found that to be the coolest part about mmos is that it's one of the few thing or one of the few genres that you're playing where if somebody says hey it's just a game you're like well not really man like we're all here online (laughs) in a world pretending to be other people like is this really a game or are we (laughs) are we living another life but anyway thanks for stopping by i appreciate it everybody Thank uh, Germa2 uh, for, for asking questions. Oh, my
2: luck, I'll probably be back on next week anyways. <laughs> but uh,
0: thanks again, man. I'll see you. No problem, dude. See you later. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. All right. My my headphone shit was, I, I'm sure, pretty entertaining. All right. A couple more questions. Go ahead and at me um, in chat if you have any more questions. I'll be on for another maybe 17 minutes or so. So not a whole lot for Collins. I did want to do a little bit of the dirty bomb section. So I might just go to that if I don't have a whole lot to talk about now. It's funny, Limpos shows up uh, at the very end, which is when I'm actually going to do his favorite part of uh, my process. <laughs> for those who don't know, Limpos hates when I read YouTube comments, all right? Go up on chat. Okay, let me go read your questions up here. Okay. What are your thoughts on all of the games launching classic versions of their uh, MMOs, such as WoW, Lineage, and Rift? Well, first off, I don't think Rift launched a classic version. I think it launched a progression server and disguised it as a classic version, as did Lord of the Rings Online. WoW is launching a classic server. That's confirmed, as is Lineage launching a classic server. In the case of Lineage, it's following a fad, um, most likely, WoW is about the only case I can think of more recently that I feel like is a true attempt at being a classic game. Like, I mean, it I just... It seems like the only classic MMO that's trying to be a classic game. Right? I feel like the other ones are just sort of either being progression servers with classic content or... fads. Uh, I don't have the highest opinions of those non-classic games that are progression servers. Other than Bloodlines, do you have any interest in the rest of the World of Darkness IPs? There are pretty rum- or there are some rumors that Paradox might go for Werewolf, the Apocalypse Apocalypse game, to ease people in to test the waters before a VTM game. Wait, Paradox is the one that does the Werewolf games, or are you talking about Werewolf? Huh, I'm not familiar with the Werewolf series under World of Darkness, so you'll have to confirm with me what that means. Do you think that a good strategy or that is a good strategy, or would you urge them to just go straight for the much wanted uh, Vampire the Masquerade game? The, the thing that I don't know if you saw that earlier, Rian, when we were talking about it in chat, but I think kind of the problem with the whole uh, Vampire the Masquerade thing is that we're not having any of the same developers involved. So we shouldn't just automatically assume success, right? Like, let's just think about it logically for a second. Uh, publisher acquires an, a license or an IP. Uh, You know, in this case, Paradox buys World of Darkness, does nothing for four years. And then all of a sudden there's rumors surrounding a possible new uh, Vampire the Masquerade game coming out that's already been rumored to have been worked on by the company that did Blacklight Retribution, which is apparently a multiplayer only company. So meaning like, I feel like currently the evidence shows that there's more reason to suspect that it won't do well than it will do well. But obviously, mostly undecided unless we get more examples. I'm just saying that unfortunately, if you want Bloodlines, you'll have to play The Outer Worlds. But if you like World of Darkness, just for the IP itself, which I would say that I I only got into it after I heard about Vampire the Masquerade. So, a number of years back, I did a White Wolf campaign, and I only did one because I heard about it from Vampire the Masquerade. So. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm making sense exactly, but that's my alarm telling me that I need to get off. But I think I think I made some sense there. Let me scroll down a little bit to see what you said. Werewolf is one of the uh, White Wolf's pen and paper RPG set in the world of darkness. Okay, I knew I heard of Werewolf. I just could not remember where it was. Yeah, it'll sell well for the name uh, value alone. Not to mention the White Wolf franchise, or or you know that D and D franchise. Sorry, that. Uh, roleplay universe is desperately needing a game i don't think it's had a game in some time besides it's more recent mobile game that came out that people didn't seem to like at all i think people hated that mobile game in fact um so i don't know we'll see i'm i as you can tell i'm not super optimistic but that's because whenever you change the development team there's no reason to be optimistic you understand, like, I don't really have a reason to be optimistic unless I just want it to do well, which I surely do. I wish it will do well, and I hope it does the best. And I would love to play a werewolf game, from the sounds of it, that might be more up my alley. I thought you were talking about werewolf as in the mafia party game a variant of werewolf. I was like, I love that game too. <laughs> I really enjoy a good crafting system within MMOs because generating my own equipment out of time... I gotta scroll back up out of time spent mastering skills needed to create it feels phenomenal phenomenal to me in your best vision for an mmo what kind of crafting system would you implement also what mechanic and gameplay loop is one that you are most strict about developers getting correct huh those are very interesting questions so so to answer the first question the crafting system that i would implement is one that first and foremost solves the problem of things becoming useless. And what I mean by that is that you need a reverse engineering or a salvaging system. Those have to be in the game. There's no other way around it. That's how you allow players who grind, not you know, essentially useless gear, you can keep them relevant by allowing them to break down that piece of armor that they would junk sell to a vendor and actually be able to extract the value out of it and sell it to somebody. So reverse engineering or salvaging is an absolute must other things is that PvP or the main conflict of the game if it's PVE or survival whatever kind of game it is it needs to be based around crafting meaning that you need resources in order to craft what you need to play the game so if we're playing a PvP game I need resources to make armor I need resources to make trebuchets I need resources to make a keep or to build my walls etc that way there's always an a Integral part of the environment that must be uh harnessed, right? Like a resource. You need some just like in the real world, you need a resource that must be harvested, and most importantly, is a scarce resource. Because if everybody can get gold, then it doesn't matter. But if gold only spawns in X regions, well now you have to trade with people from that region. So that's another thing. Regional uh trading, regional um Loot tables, sorry, sorry, balanced loot tables for regional um, capabilities, meaning certain regions, in my opinion, as in the real world, should have more mountains, therefore should have more minerals. Another region could have more water, therefore has more water resources. Maybe another reason or another area has more trees, so it has more wood as a resource. I think making areas resource specific is also super integral in creating a good crafting system. What mechanic gameplay loop uh, am I most strict about? I would say, man, that's such a hard question to answer. What mechanic and gameplay loop is the one that you are most strict about? I'm gonna I'm gonna have three answers for that or three different uh, answers for that because I feel like that's such a hard one to answer. For one of them, if you make your game full loop PvP or non-consensual PvP, there better be things in the game for people to do other than PvP. And what I mean by that is that if I'm Joe Blow from the Old Timers Guild, which is a real guild, by the way, of old you know, players who band together, and I'm playing an Old Timers Guild, I don't have the reflexes to match the young Whippersnapper, and I don't have the time to match the young Whippersnapper who can level way more than I can. But what I can do is use my knowledge, my experience, my wisdom to get me ahead. And most games don't allow for you to do that because they don't allow for you to do other things in the game besides just fight. Because as the games became... As MMOs became more game-like, they came, they, 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 divorced from the world aspect. Whereas with the world aspect, you have to have other activities in the game... Otherwise, there's just always war, right? I mean, think about it. Like, if we go back a thousand, two thousand years when we were warring a lot more, it's because essentially we had nothing else to do and we were fighting over scarce resources and territory being, you know, so closely put together and being giant tribes of people. So like that's why we used to fight and and have to war and whatever else. When you have a, a game that focuses so heavily on PvP but doesn't allow for things like farming. Doesn't allow for things like uh, tree tree chopping or lumberjacking. Um, it doesn't allow for um, mining, um, fishing, little things like that that games have, but they don't make them integral to the actual gameplay loop. Right, meaning that when I'm playing a PvP game, I should have to, as we talked about with the crafting thing, go get resources. I should not be able to just show up every single day and fight. That's not how games should work. Like, take that back. That's how a game works, that's not how a world works. No war is won by just soldiers, right? Everybody understands that concept. A war is not just won by the foot soldiers. It's won by the generals, it's won by the by the artillery. It's won by the supplies. It's won by the um civilians. It's won by the factories, right? There's so many other concepts that go into it. Meaning that if you're going to center your game around this conflict, you need all that other stuff. Otherwise, it's just wolves killing wolves and killing sheep until all of the sheep quit. And it's just wolves killing wolves until, well, you know how that ends. They run out of uh, sheep to kill and they get bored. That's what happened in Darkfall to the T. So that's probably one of the... Things that I'm the most strict about is if your game is PvP centric and you not adding all of that other layer of a game, because basically your game is just 100% going to fail if you don't do that. I know I said I had a couple of more, but honestly, that's a pretty good one. The rumor is that they're aware of people wanting the next game to live up to bloodlines and want to temper it. By bringing a separate IP set in the same universe. That would make sense, Riyadin. That makes sense. I hear you talk a lot about galaxies and the things you liked. I'm curious as to what you think were the strengths of Guild Wars 1. How would you contrast that to Guild Wars 2? So I would say that uh, Guild Wars 1, to me, is one of the best games I've ever played. One of the best games I've ever played. Notice how I didn't say MMOs. It's because Guild Wars 1 is... um. It's interesting, right? It's basically a lobby game. I mean, what 2 was mentioning, Guild Wars is that. it's a uh, got instances. In each instance, you have a town instance followed by a um, PvE instance. So once you leave the town, you get to the PvE instance. Essentially, that's how the game works in a nutshell. Meaning there's no persistent big open world. It's not always the same. It's mostly instance, and you could have six instances of the same city. So it had... Many of those issues, right? That I've mentioned with regards to being too much like a game and not enough like a world. But then why did I like Guild Wars 1 so much? The reason why I like Guild Wars 1 so much in particular, for me, is the way it handles skills and class customization. Guild Wars 1, the meta, the skill, and all the brain power and and ability, if you will, is focused into one thing making a build. That's how you play Guild Wars 1. Make good builds. If you have good builds, the right uh, scenario and the right team comp you're gonna do well whether that be pve or pvp so the beautiful thing about guild wars is uh guild wars 1 is that everybody knew that at the higher level so when you showed up you had 16 different builds ready to join a different uh character people were well-rounded they could play a number of classes they could play a number of builds there was so much variety in the game because of all of that being the case, and there being like thousands of skills. And since skills in PVE had to be obtained by PVE players, meaning you had to get a signet and have to go capture those skills, that meant that you couldn't just play the game as a PvP. You had to use your PvP character, unlike in Guild Wars Two, to actually um, to either try and unlock it with your uh, Balthazar faction points. Or get your PvE player to go actually unlock a specific ability that you can only get from a particular boss or a particular mob. Meaning, that is a hook to make sure that you are spending time out there in the world. If an MMO takes that exact same idea and puts it in their game, they'll probably have a much better time at it because it's not so instanced as Guild Wars 1 is. So those are the, probably like the biggest things I would say that I liked about Guild Wars 1. The other thing is the same thing I liked about Halo 2. And that's that it's matchmaking. There's so much playlist variety in Guild Wars 1. I mean, there's hero battles. There's uh, 1v1s. There's um, uh, faction wars. There's AVA. Uh, Alliance versus Alliance. There's Guild versus Guild, of course. The name of the fucking game. Guild versus Guild. Sorry. As you can tell, that's a point that Guild Wars 2 really annoyed me on. Um, there's Guild versus Guild. Random arenas, meaning everyone's a solo queue player. Team arenas. Um, there's, uh, Hall of Monuments. <laughs> I could keep going. I mean, that's the thing about Gold Wars 1. It has so many playlists and so many different ways to play the game. That's what I loved the most about it. What do you believe will happen to Bioware once and if they shut down? Do you theorize they might disperse and be assimilated into other big studios or start their own akin to Obsidian? Like a phoenix rising from the ashes. Ashes. well considering the majority of their major talent already left and formed other studios i wouldn't expect them to rise from the ashes like a phoenix if anything i think they're just going to disperse within ea or be gobbled up by other companies the ips i don't know what they'll do with the ips that's what i'm unfortunately speaking ea will sit on dead ips they will they will sit on ips so it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that Dragon Age, that Mass Effect, um, that uh, KOTOR 1, those different IPs could be shelved and maybe not have any more game. Have I played older Bioware games such as Baldur's Gate 1 and 2? Yes, but I played them posthumously. So I might have a slightly different view of them than maybe other people do. Same thing with Planescape Torment. Okay, so the last thing to get to is I wanted, as I said, to finish this podcast by going over a couple of the major points of criticism that I had on my Dirty Bomb video. Now, I'm going to be doing this on each death of a game like following, like the podcast following. I want to address the major points of criticism and then essentially try not to talk about it anymore. (laughs) So I won't be responding as much to comments anymore, but I figured it's much better if I could just do it all at one place, one time um i'll have everybody know i asked a couple of people um to come on and talk to me about dirty bomb or talk to me about the video in particular to see what they disagreed with on etc a couple of people from the mmorpg subreddit obviously none of them are to be found um they knew i was wearing the fedora today so they didn't want to get fedored um but no in reality it's just that it's funny that people just won't put themselves out there if there's a chance that they could be wrong huh funny how that works Oh, I put myself out there all the time and I am wrong a lot (laughs) because it is impossible for me to spend two, three weeks on a script that's 8,000 words and make no mistakes. It's just impossible, right? So I've, I've kind of like accepted that as much as I try and control for issues. Now, one particular mistake, I guess you could call it that. I hesitate to call this one a mistake, but there's one particular point that people brought up concerning the Dirty Bomb video. Where they mentioned that there's a part of the video where I talk about the loadouts, and I th- and then I go from talking about the loadouts to then talking about ranked mode, and so I didn't do a good enough job of telling people that when I mentioned cobalt uh, loadouts, and then cobalt in ranked, and cobalt in ranked, I meant cobalt players because, I mean, I-, I don't see why anyone would think I wouldn't think that way, but I mean, uh, let's just go along with the meme that. People think that I thought that loadouts gave you some great you know, secret power. I didn't think that way. I thought that they were skins tied behind a loadout that essentially could not be purchased except at a bronze level, which is a good point that I did not make in my video. You can purchase every loadout in the game at the bronze level. My main point was that you can't purchase them at the cobalt level, and that's because that's where the actual skin is, right? The actual skin doesn't really happen once you... Once you, until you get past like I think is it gold rarity or point being is you don't really notice the skins before then. So I made a mistake in not explaining when I meant cobalt loadout versus cobalt ranked players. But I'll make that distinction now. When I said that in ranked mode it came down to who had the most cobalts, I meant cobalt players. <laughs> in the same way that whenever you play a uh, CS:GO. And you're and you're with your Smurf friend, who's one rank below Global Elite, and there's a Global Elite on the other team. You're gonna lose to the Global Elite. So it, that's kind of the concept that I was trying to like describe. I didn't do the best job of of kind of delineating that. I think right, like I I I mentioned loadouts and Cobalt right next to each other, and for some reason they made the ranks the same as the loot boxes. I'm not sure why they did that, but they did. So uh, I I can understand why people got misled by that. yeah so the cobalt thing is definitely an important one. Can you help me get my hundred and twenty dollar founders pack back <laughs> uh that that money's long gone dude <laughs> I'm just kidding no i don't i I don't think I can get your money back man sorry okay so other other points of criticism let's see um all right so i another uh, very common thing that I saw mentioned is um People didn't like the fact that I was mentioning specific mercenaries as problematic in the game. Now, I found this to be a little bit interesting. Because this is the most blatant example of how being at the higher percentage of skill in a game makes you almost delusional when it comes to reality. And now, to explain what I mean... A very competitive player is willing to go to just about any lengths in order to perform at a high level, correct? This means that when you release a class such as, or mercenary such as Phantom, which has an invisibility, this doesn't really translate on the highest level to being a very good class. Most people who've played shooters can agree with this. At the highest level in MOBAs, highest level in shooters, highest levels in RTS, you become better at dealing with cheesy things, correct? Right? That's the people would probably agree with that sentiment. What I find interesting though is that I had a couple of dirty bomb loyalists automatically just dismiss uh Phantom and say, oh, he's not OP, he's easy to deal with. Except they're not worried about how you deal with it. Let me let me say that again. The top one to five percent is not a big enough audience to keep the bills or keep the lights on. Right? So They don't care if the top 5% can deal with the character. They care if the top 75% can deal with the character. So it was so interesting to see literally contradictions from people. To see elite fans of Dirty Bomb say Phantom. um, What's the other characters? Rhino, Kira. No prop. No problem, right? Well... Most people said Fragger was a problem. Another thing I didn't mention enough in the, in the in the video. I mentioned that Fragger could cook grenades. I did not mention that he could do two of them right after the other and blow them up in your face, which is pretty freaking OP. So I do take fault for the Fragger one. Anyway, point being that um, when it, when it comes to how the hardcore audience treats something versus the casual audience, it's never going to be a one-to-one. They're going to disagree. The thing is, though, is that if your niche audience isn't big enough to carry your game, doesn't matter what the elite's opinion is. I'm sorry, guys. You hardcore players who've spent 3,000 billion hours into the game, many of you did not make good arguments as to why the game failed. Many of you made arguments as to why it failed in the competitive setting, right? That's a vacuum, essentially. That's a small subset of the population. This tiny, statistically speaking, right? This tiny. One, two, three, four, five percent of the audience is the super elite audience. How much of the audience is a casual audience? It's nearly always the majority of the audience. So if casual fans are saying Phantom is a problem, my point is Phantom is a problem, right? Regardless of if I think he's a problem or not. Did I necessarily find him a problem? No. I mean, he's another stealth guy. Like, come on. Like, yes, the shield is a little bit OP and they nerf that. But besides that being a stealth guy in shooters, I mean, come on. Spy is not taken seriously in TF2 competitive, right? It's not taken seriously. But at the competitive level, or sorry, at the casual level, if it's a big enough issue to cause people to literally quit the game, which is what they're saying, it's an issue. So I I brought this up to kind of illustrate that. Although somebody with 3,000, 5,000 billion hours into a game might seem like the person to trust at first glance, what you'll often find is that they make many very simple logical errors because they're so invested into the game. To, To describe what I mean here, let's talk about cognitive bias. This is one of my favorite things to talk about and I'll show you exactly why. Sometimes being an expert is almost one of the most harmlu- harmful things that you can be in regards to taking a look at something from a macro perspective. Sorry, let me add that little t- or let me add that little disclaimer. <laughs> okay. So we've got a couple of different cognitive biases mentioned here, but I'm going to go ahead and point out the very obvious one, right? Blind spot bias. This, to me, is probably one of the most common ones you see off the bat. It's essentially because somebody has only seen from the high level, as if I'm only looking upwards. All of a sudden, they look down. They can't relate to any of that. Because when you're playing with guys who can land shots as soon as you peek a corner, your your expectation of a typical shooter is a little bit different, right? (laughs) When your skill is that good, you got a little bit different of an opinion. The problem is, is that you're so good at the game, you trust your opinion of the game. Therefore you form a blind spot because you're not looking at it at other factors. For example, why a character could be harmful to the casual audience, right? You don't look at that. You don't look at how a game's monetization is very off-putting. That was the main thing that was so strange to me about 30 bomb video, is I had people debating very specifics about the the microtransaction model. For example, saying, oh, you can buy the bronze loadout. Okay, but the other skins are still randomly generated. So why didn't you address that part? (laughs) You're only addressing that part because you know that's the part that I didn't necessarily make the best argument about. What about the other parts? And then somebody, uh, or then some rhetoric that I get is, well, 56 hours, you do that in a week, buddy? Are you crazy? 56 hours? That's like a month of me playing video games. In the same vein, I get... It's not really 56 hours. If you do it with a blah, blah, blah modifier, blah, 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 you could do it in a couple of days, right? So that's the idea is that I have to meet the, the casual audience and I have to meet the hardcore audience. The funny thing about the hardcore audience is that I often find they are the most wrong about things because they see it from such a small lens. Like if I was like looking through a lens of something, I don't have anything to, actually I'm looking through this little cap. my view is pretty narrow, right? But if I take the time to take a step back and read people's reviews and look at you know common criticism and what and what developers and have admitted in the past, for example, the developers themselves admitted this. But this is something that you won't often see mentioned, of course.
1: A bit of shaving to This do.
0: W- will require, essentially, a concession from somebody. Wolf
3: E.T., but we also wanted to really be in charge of... Alright, so listen to his little monologue here. Dirty Bomb really started with the desire of recapturing some of the magic that we had in Wolf E.T., but we also wanted to really be in charge of our own destiny and the destiny of the game. We started out with playing a F-ton of Wolfenstein. It was a lot of
1: fun. Um, most of us had played it, but you know some of the team hadn't, and we then started replicating Gold Rush, and the base mechanics of. I'll Gold tell you when he says the, the most important so thing. 3. we thought a lot of other games who were in London or set some maps in London, you know, they all the time. So we wanted to get something. Well, in the earliest days, you had two versus the Axis. It was that the minimum spec for didn't start that way, of course. It was only engineers. It was proxy.
0: I'm trying to find the particular part. I can't
1: remember when exactly where we were where first
3: thinking about it, I, I don't think we were anticipating the numbers that we, that we... All
1: right, here we go. It was really tough to get that balance right, but I'm pretty happy with how it turned out in the end. And that's how we came up with objective specialization and letting them do it faster. And it was really tough to get that balance right, but I'm pretty happy with how it turned out in
3: the end. At the time when we were talking about it uh, I don't think that we would end up with over 9 million installs When we were first thinking about it I, I don't think we were anticipating the numbers that we that we ended up getting
1: no I think it's I think it's fair to say that we didn't know the requirements this was
3: Did I miss it already do they say it in the very beginning and I missed it recapturing some of the magic that we had in both ET but we also wanted to really be in charge of our own destiny and
0: Mm. There's a particular quote that I'm looking for. I have to find so this we now, we so, to really do drive
1: so, we had this list of the ones we wanted to improve while we were in beta. So, that was probably the biggest change because obviously, oh yeah, by the way, for those who are
3: which was cool in a way. <laughs> I was just was thinking about the people who tuned
0: in out of context are looking look at me holding my play headphones play up it. in the air, like as soon
3: as it came. Why well, is this guy holding open. his headphones? Um, we realize that we've made the game for a very small it's the, it's, group of it's people.
0: It's the costume, guys. Yeah, I have to find this. Really common my brain in the gets industry, in a certain way where like, really if, I, way if I don't, don't find the particular thing that I'm looking for, yourself. it'll literally like drive me insane until I find it. Okay. It's on my timeline. Okay. Check it out. It's at 3.55. It actually just happened. You, pro- you guys probably just heard it.
3: Right. We have an idea to open... Um, we realize that we've made the game for a very small group of people. Yeah, it's... Really okay, uh, common. Out of one window open, um, we realized that we've made the game for a very small group of people. For a very small group close one window open, um, we realize that we've made the game for a very small group of people.
0: So that... <laughs> yeah, that was the quote. What that quote is essentially saying... Is that they knew that they made the game for too small of a niche. And they were trying desperately to get away from that niche. Right? When Dirty Bomb first came out, it was this very competitive kind of like old school enemy territory experience. That's how it felt for me. And then the point that I made by introducing new mercenaries is that over time, they clearly made it more and more casual. And so what I always found interested or interesting about the people who would debate about specific mercenaries being op or not is they ignore that the dirty bomb themselves said that they changed the game from how it was originally and they were happy with that (laughs) right gonna do sometimes people don't want to listen to the truth because as i said they get a couple of these different biases such as they get a confirmation bias focusing only on information that confirms their existing preconceptions because they play the game and they have their exact perception they're only interested in, in, in that confirmation being confirmed. They don't care about anything else. Right? As long as you can give them data that, that says that their opinion is right, that's what they're most interested in. Someone who's kind of caught in a confirmation bias. If you're wondering how you don't get caught in confirmation bias, uh, you got to ask questions. <laughs> you got to ask questions. That's for sure. Anyway, um, I think that's just about it. I also have to go to the restroom, so I figure this is a good time to stop the podcast. Um, I want to thank everybody for stopping by today. It's my first time wearing the outfit. I'm slightly sweaty, which is good. I'm not, I'm not like drenched in sweat as I thought I was going to be. Um, So I'd like to thank everybody for stopping by. Um, I told you guys it was going to be about two hours. Went a little bit over, but that's okay. Um, Ultimately speaking, just a few minutes over. I'd like to thank everybody for stopping by today to watch episode 23 of the Six Pixels Under podcast. I am Nerd Slayer, your host. We went over (laughs) cognitive biases. We went over my Dirty Bomb video. We went over just about everything um, that we mentioned at the very top. So, I like, like I said, thank you for stopping by. Um, yeah, it was a good one. See you later, guys.